just ask for your wisdom and for your strength. And we know that you will provide those in abundant measure. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, the first three words spoken from the cross were done early in the morning, at the beginning of the crucifixion, about the 9 o'clock in the morning hour. The last four were at the very end of the crucifixion, about the 3 o'clock in the afternoon hour, right before he died. And this is his final word. This is the, the third that is actually a prayer. The very first one was a prayer, a prayer of forgiveness, forgiving his enemies. Father, forgive them. Out of the darkness, at the end uh, of the darkness, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was a prayer, an agonizing prayer. And then the final words are a prayer to the Father. Three times he spoke directly to his heavenly Father from the cross. And uh, this is his last one. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I think um, if you sum all this up, what, what is happening here is that it's Jesus giving his life for us, that our Savior gave his life for us. That is what happened in this moment as he spoke these words. Every word in that sentence is important. Our Savior gave his life for us. There's a lot packed in there. That is basically the gospel right there. That is basically the salvation message right there. And, and that's what this final prayer was about. So, so we're going to look at the three parts of this prayer. Uh, the first part, Father, into your hand. It's, it's about God. We're going to talk about God in God's hand. And then what Jesus did, I commend, I commit my spirit. That's what Jesus is doing at this time as he's praying. He's commending his spirit into God's hand. And then that last part, my spirit. What does it mean uh, for him to commend his spirit into the hand of God? So those are the three parts of the phrase. One small sentence, one small phrase. But we're going to break it down into those three parts and, uh, and take them one by one. The first part, when he, when he talks about a father into your hand, he's talking about the secure, his security. He is secure in the hand of God, the security of our Savior. This is actually a quote from Psalm 31. And the psalmist in Psalm 31 uh, trusts in God completely. Uh, listen to the words of the psalmist. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. The psalmist feels secure in God, feels the security of God, knowing that God is watching over him. He's trusting God. God is his rock and his fortress. He goes on. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. And here it is. Into your hand I commit my spirit. These are the words that Jesus was quoting from the cross. He, again, that shows that even in his dying moment, his, his mind was filled with scripture. He, he knows God's word. He had studied God's word. He had read God's word. He loved God's word. He memorized God's word. And God's word was on his lips as he died. He said, into your hand I commit my spirit. He quoted that from the Psalms. He did not quote the last part. The last part, the psalmist said, you have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. 
Jesus does not quote that part because Jesus does not need to be redeemed. Jesus is the redeemer. He does not need to be saved. He is the savior. He is the one who saves us and redeems us. So he didn't quote that last part, but he did quote the part about into your hand, I commit my spirit. And the whole, um, the whole tone of that psalm is a psalm of resting in God, that I trust God. He is my rock. He is my fortress. He is my strength. And that's the point that Jesus was here as he was dying upon the cross. He just, I trust you, Father. You're the Father. I trust you. You're my rock. You're my fortress. And I commit my spirit into your hands. One interesting uh, word study that came from this that I really wasn't expecting completely was to study the, um, the hand of God. If you've never done that, it's an interesting study to just look up through a concordance uh, the hand of God and see, look up all the scriptures. And there's a ton of scriptures that speak of the hand of God. And when Christ was dying on the cross, he prayed, into your hand, O God, I commit my spirit. And so if you just do a, a brief word study on, on the hand of God, these are just a, a few excerpts from that. Uh, Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's something special about the right hand of God, that the right hand of God is a place of blessing uh, here in, in Psalm 16. It's a place of fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That's God's right hand. God's right hand. There's something special about that. The same thing in Psalm 17, 7. Show your marvelous loving uh, kindness by your right hand, O you who save those who trust in you. So in Psalm 16, there's joy and pleasure forevermore. In Psalm 17, it's the marvelous loving kindness of God. In Psalm 20, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. So in Psalm 16, you have joy and pleasure of his right hand. In Psalm 17, you have the marvelous loving kindness of his right hand. And in uh, Psalm 20, you have the saving strength of his right hand. And you know, as well as I do, that Jesus talked about the hand of his father. Jesus talked about the hand of God. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish. This is the salvation that Jesus gave us. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given to them, me, them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And just in case you didn't get that reference, he says, I and the father are one. The father's hand is Jesus' hand. And they're holding us in, in their hand, and nobody can pluck us out of the hand of God or the hand of Christ. Jesus talked about the security of our salvation, that when, when Jesus saves us, it is forever, and we are secure in his hand. Nobody can pluck us out of his hand. This also brought me to a place that I didn't expect to go either, to Isaiah. Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49, 16 is an interesting verse. It says, see, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Now, this is a, a prophecy about Jerusalem. It's addressing Zion. But it's an interesting context. In the, in the context, 
uh, Jerusalem, Israel, Zion, they are doubting God. In fact, they start by saying, um, God has forsaken us. Where's God? God has forsaken us, much like Jesus cried on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the Jews were crying out to God. God has forsaken us. They said God has forgotten us. They, they thought that God had forsaken them. They thought God had forgotten them. And yet God says, I haven't forsaken you. I haven't forgotten you. In fact, he said, can, can a mother forget her child, her baby? The prophet said, it's easier for a mother to forget the child, her, her own baby, than for God to forget his people. And then God says, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. Your, your name is tattooed on the hand of God. He, he will never forget you. He will never forsake you. You are secure in his hand. Nobody can pluck you out of the Father's hand. It's talking about the eternal security of the believer. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, he echoed those words of the, the eternal security of the believer. Father, I'm committing my spirit into your hands because there I am secure. There is the safest place you can be. You know God will never forget. You know that it's impossible for him to forget. It's, it's tattooed on his hand. I mean, I've forgotten a lot of things, even things that are valuable to me, uh, things that I value very much. I value very much my, um, my cell phone, but every once in a while I'll forget it and leave it laying around somewhere. I value very much my, uh, my credit card, but I have left it at a restaurant before more than once. And it seems to be more frequent the older I get, too, that that happens. I mean, those things are very precious and very valuable, but sometimes I forget and leave them laying around. But if something is tattooed on your palms of your hands, you don't just accidentally forget it laying around somewhere. You don't abandon that. You can't. It's there in front of you. It's in your presence forever, and, you, and it is secure. That is the, the kind of security that our Savior was praying upon the cross. When he committed his spirit into the hands of the Father, it was the place of security. It was the safest place to be in the hands of God. So that's the first part of the three-part sentence that we have here, into the Father's hand. Well, what about the middle part? The middle part is, I commend. So what is Jesus doing here? Well, it's talking about the sovereignty of the Savior, that he is in control, that he is in charge. He is sovereign over all things, uh, even his own death. So let's go to our text again. This is our text. When Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Now listen to the way it describes his death. Having said this, he breathed his last. That's an interesting uh, way to describe the death. This is a, a common euphemism. Instead of just saying, you know, blurting out, he died, uh, you want to kind of soften it a little bit. And so breathing, he breathed his last is a way to soften it with a euphemism. And, but then it is a common euphemism for people dying. It's used in the Old Testament, especially in the time of the patriarchs. When Abraham died, it's Abraham breathed his last. When Isaac died, Isaac breathed his last. When Ishmael died, the same thing. And when Jacob died, the same thing. They breathed their last. So it seems to be a common thing uh, in, in the Old Testament way to describe uh, death. And I think that describes the typical human death. He died just like everybody else dies. He breathed his last. But it's also interesting because it's the same root word. 
for, for those of you theologians out there, and I know, I know you guys are scholars, uh, you know that the word for spirit is the same word for breath or the same word for wind. It's the same word. It just depends upon the context uh, how it's used. Is it used in the literal sense as breath or wind, or is it used in the figurative or spiritual sense as that of the spirit? And it's, but it's the same word, the same root word. So when Jesus said, into your hand I commit my spirit, the word is pneuma. We know it from uh, pneumonia. You, we get the word pneumonia from that because pneumonia is a disease where it's hard to breathe. You can't get your breath. And so the word pneuma is, is either breath or spirit. And it's, that's the word that he uses here. And it's also the word that's used when he breathed his last. Only it has a little uh, prefix in front of it, the X. He exhaled. He breathed out. He breathed out his last. He breathed out his spirit, so to speak. It's the same same root word that is used there. An interesting way to describe his death. In fact, it's interesting to look at the way the other Gospels describe it. Mark describes it the same way, that Jesus breathed his last. Uh, Matthew describes it as he yielded up his spirit. There you go. So even the two that talked about breathing his last, it's still the root word pneuma, spirit, spirit or breath. It's still the same word. And here he yielded up his breath. He yielded up his spirit. And uh, John says something similar, only he says gave up. Instead of yielded up, he gave up his spirit. So, so all of them involve pneuma. All of them involve breath or spirit. Either he breathed his last or he yielded up his spirit. But the yielding up his spirit has to do with what he was praying here. Into your hand, I commend my spirit. I'm in control of my spirit, and I will yield it when I'm ready. I will give it up when I'm ready. And uh, this is the interesting part, because Jesus' death was two things. First of all, it was common. He died in exactly the same way all men die. His heart stopped beating. His lungs starts, stopped uh, breathing, his organs shut down, his spirit separated from his body, his body was buried, his spirit went into the hands of God, uh, exactly the same way that everybody has died in the past, and in exactly the same way you will die, and I will die, in, in the exact same way. It's a human death because Jesus was human, and so he experienced death in the same way that all humanity experiences death. That's the first part. It was common to all man, but his death was something else, too. Secondly, his death was uncommon. It was unique. It was absolutely different from everybody else. So in one way, it was the same as everybody because it was a human death, just like everybody else's death. But another day, it was in another way, it was completely unique because he was in control, because he was in charge. This was different from everybody else's death. Think about that for a minute. How do we think about death? How do we visualize death? Well, if you were to visualize death, it would probably look something like this. I know this is a scary picture, right? But uh, this is the way that uh, Hollywood pictures death. This is the way that people have pictured death for, for generations and millennia for thousands of years. Death is dark and mysterious because it's unknown, because we don't know exactly. Nobody's ever experienced it and come back to tell about it. And so uh, it's there's some mystery there. There's an unknown. So you, you look into the darkness, you know, looking for a face or something, but there's just emptiness and mystery. It's a little bit scary because you've got this big scythe here. He's going to come and, and harvest a soul. 
and uh, you know death kind of sneaks up on you and you never know when it's going to pop up and you never uh, you're never quite ready for it you're you're not anticipating it when it shows up and um, it's very indiscriminate you never know who it's coming for is it coming for me is it coming for uh, somebody in my neighborhood is it coming for somebody else uh, who is it coming from there there's this this unknown and and that that's all captured in this image of death and this image of course is not theologically correct this image is not how death really is this is not how god sees death but this is this does capture how we as humans think about death or how we encounter death and it accurately describes that i know you guys uh, know a lot about ancient mesopotamian uh, legends too but you probably have heard the one legend about death there was a, uh, a, a merchant in baghdad and he sent his uh, servant into the market in baghdad to uh, to get some supplies and the merch the merchant's servant went into the busy shop the busy markets in ba in baghdad and uh, there he he bumped into death and and death was was pictured as kind of like this only it was a woman it was an old woman with a shroud over her head and mysterious and uh, he, he bumped into her recognized that it was death a uh, death turned to face him saw him and death's eyes her eyes got big and she reached out her hand toward him and focused upon him in this uh, kind of a frightening gesture scary gesture toward him and it spooked him it scared him and he turned around and he fled from death he went straight back to his his merchant boss told him what happened and the merchant said well, if, if death did that for you, death is coming after you. You need to escape. You need to get out of here. Get as far away from death as you can. So here's my, my horse. Here's my fresh horse. Take my horse and get as far away from, from the, the Baghdad market as you can get. So the, the servant jumped on the horse and rode as fast as he could all day long until he got to uh, 75 miles away, the town of Samara. And he arrived at Samara exhausted after a long day of journey on the horse but he was 75 miles away from death, and he was safe. Meanwhile, while he was uh, riding his horse, fleeing death, the merchant went back into Baghdad to see if he could get a glimpse of death. And sure enough, he found her. He found death, this old lady. And he approached her, and he said, Earlier today, my servant saw you, and you focused on him, and you made threatening gestures to him. And death spoke up and said, That, that was not a threatening gesture. That was a gesture of surprise. I was shocked to see him here in Baghdad because I have an appointment with him tonight in Samara. It's one of those stories that it's an age-long story, but it reminds us about death, that you can't escape death. You don't know when death is going to come. And uh, if it's your time, it's inescapable. That's the way we think of death. But Jesus approached death completely opposite, completely different. In fact, in, in John chapter 10, verse 12, verses 17 and 18, uh, this is what he says. He said, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. Death can't take life from Jesus. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Our Savior is sovereign over death. Our Savior... Um, approaches death completely different than anybody else anybody else is at the mercy of death but in jesus case death is at the mercy of jesus we wait for death not knowing when it will come for jesus death waits until jesus is ready until jesus yields his spirit 
Death has to sit there powerlessly and wait until Jesus is ready. Uh, for us, we wait for the mystery of the unknown, not knowing, and there's anxiety. With Jesus, he, he already knows, and with certainty, he knows the time of his death, and he initiates it from his own power. He lays down his life knowing exactly what he's doing. With us, death has ultimate power over us. We cannot escape it. With Jesus, he has the ultimate power over death. Death has no power over him. In, in fact, that's why the Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians, he kind of anthropomorphizes death and speaks to it like it was death was something you can uh, speak to. And he says, oh, death, where is your sting? This comes in the chapter of the resurrection, talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus conquered death. So, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Death and the grave have no victory uh, when it comes to Jesus because Jesus has defeated them. He is sovereign. He is in control. So on one hand, his death is just like the death of everybody else. It was human. And on the other hand, his death was unlike anybody else's because he was sovereign. He was in control. He laid down voluntarily his life. He commended his spirit into the hands of God. He laid down his life for us. Our Savior gave his life for us. So the first part speaks about the security of our Savior. He's in the hand of the Almighty God. The, the middle part speaks of the sovereignty of our Savior. He's in control. He's in charge. And he's the one that yields his spirit. He commends his spirit into the, the hand of God. What about that last part? What does it mean when he talks about my spirit? The spirit of our Savior. As long as we have S's, we might as well have that one in there too. The security of our Savior, the sovereignty of our Savior, the spirit of our Savior. Again, back to our text. Uh, Jesus cried with a loud voice. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So, so what was going on here uh, theologically? There's some theological issues that we have to talk about. It says something about biblical anthropology. Anthropology is the study of man, um, mankind, humanity, what it means to be human. So when I say man, I'm not being gender specific or anything like that, but just talking about all of humanity, all of mankind. Uh, what does it mean to, to be human? And, and we talked about this with uh, Jesus' other word from the cross when he said, I thirst. That spoke of his humanity, that he was a human just like we are human. He suffered, he experienced pain just like we do, and he experienced thirst just like we do. And we talked a little bit about uh, the humanity of Jesus. And we talked about some of the, the false views that deny the humanity of Jesus. And, and some of that comes into to this statement of Jesus from the cross when he said, into your hand I commit my spirit, because some people get it wrong, theologically wrong. They get the humanity of Jesus wrong. Uh, some people think that Jesus was a, uh, a regular man. This is an ancient uh, heresy that goes way back to the early church. That, uh, that Jesus was a regular man, a regular human being, but at some point the Spirit of God came upon him. At his baptism is the, the most um, thought time. That at his baptism the Spirit of God came upon Jesus, who at that time was just a normal human being. But then the Spirit of God came upon him. Now he was divine. And then at the very end of his life, at the cross, when Jesus prayed this prayer, and Jesus said, into your hand I commend my Spirit, that at that time... The Spirit of God left him, and all that was left on the cross was a regular human being, no longer divine. 
Now, this is an ancient heresy. It goes way back, but they get it wrong. That is not what happened. That is not who Jesus is. Jesus, when he was born, he was born completely human, 100% human. He had a human body, a human mind, a human soul, a human spirit, everything that makes us human. Every, biblical anthropology, everything that makes a man a man, everybody, everything that makes us human, Jesus had 100%. It's not like he had, this is another uh, false view, that he had a human body, but he had a divine spirit or divine soul, and they were combined together, you know, like half man, half God. Something. No, he's 100% human, 100% man, without ceasing to be 100% God. He's both. He's both 100% man and 100% God. But, but the biblical anthropology question is this then. Well, what does it mean to be a man? What, what constitutes a human being? Well, there's three different views on this. Uh, one of them is trichotomism, that man is made of three parts. Basically, body, soul, and spirit. Uh, there are three parts to, to being human, body, soul, and spirit. That's trichotomy. Then there's dichotomism, which says there's two parts. You have the body, but then you have the soul slash spirit, however you want to describe that. Uh, so dichotomists would usually use a different term, like uh, they would say either um, physical and spiritual, the physical body, and the spiritual, the soul spirit, or they would use uh, corporeal and incorporeal, the body and the immaterial part, material, immaterial, things like that. But, but the man would be two, dichotomists. And then there's the monism. The monist would say that, to be human means you have to have a body. You can't be human without a body. And, and this, uh, this is different, completely different than the way I think of things. And it's completely different from the way I read the scriptures. But I can kind of see how, uh, how you would get that impression sometimes. Because it's always our experience. To be human, you have to have a body. And that's everybody we know has a body. All right? And so uh, you can't imagine there being an, an existence of the soul or spirit apart from the body. And, and I, I see that that's difficult to imagine, but this goes against scripture in, in several ways. Uh, one way is Jesus himself. Jesus himself told the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and they both died, and yet they had conscious existence. Their soul or spirit was alive, and they were still human beings, even though they didn't have a body, even though their body was dead and buried. Uh, they, they had a soul or a spirit. Uh, the rich man's spirit was in torment. And uh, Lazarus' spirit was in the bosom of Abraham, enjoying the blessedness of heaven. And uh, that's the story Jesus told. Now, some would say, well, that's just a, that's not a real story. That's just a parable. It's not a true story. It's just a parable. I, I'm not sure that, that might be true. But even if that's true, even if it's just a parable, why would he tell a parable that has theological fallacies and that doesn't make sense to me? And um, so, so I think Jesus was trying to tell us something about life after death, and about the soul and the body and, and the difference between them. And, of course, there's, there's other places like uh, in Paul, when Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, that indicates that there is this conscious existence, that the spirit or the soul is separated from the body, but it's still alive, still human, still has a conscious existence apart from the body. So I, I know this is, this is kind of getting, getting into the deep theological weeds here, but, but what was Jesus doing when, when he said, uh, into your hand I commend my spirit? Well, I think what he was doing here was he, his body was dying, was about to die, just a moment later would, that would be dead. 
His body would be taken off the cross. His body would be wrapped and laid in the, in the tomb. His body would, you know, uh, start the, the normal human decomp- decomposition. It would be his body. That's what happened to his body. He wasn't really committing his body into the hands of God. He was committing his body into the, the grave, into the hands of the people that would bury him in the grave. That's what happened to his body. But he was committing his spirit into the hands of God. This is the immaterial part of him. Now, whether that immaterial is described as soul or spirit or however you describe it, if, if you want to argue between trichotomism and dichotomism, that's fine. There's a, there's a lot of uh, things to talk about and argue about. And, uh, but there's also a lot of points of uh, connection. There's also a lot of points of agreement in those, those uh, two views also. But, but I think Jesus was, was separating the, the immaterial from the material, the spiritual from the physical, from the body. And, and he was not committing his body into God's care. He, his body would be in the hands of men to bury. But he was committing his spirit into God's care, which is exactly what happens to us when we die. When we die, our body is buried return to the earth or cremated, whatever, our, our body returns to the earth, but our soul goes into the hand of God, our soul or our spirit, however you want to describe that. Sometimes those two words are interchangeable in the Bible. They're, they're used to describe the same thing, the, the immaterial part of, of us, who we are. And at other times, there's a difference. There's a distinction between the soul and the spirit. So I, I think... Um, that both of those are true, that when he says my spirit, he could be talking about just the general, um, you know, the spiritual part of humanity, or it could be specifically talking about uh, the spirit, not the soul, but the spirit. If there's a distinction between the soul, it's the spirit that goes to be with God. It's eternal. The soul is, is basically our life, the life that gives life to the body, that, that animates the body. That's the soul, whereas the spirit uh, goes to be eternally with God. Now, if you say our soul goes to, to heaven to be with God, I understand that completely too because you know they're they're interchangeable sometimes. And the and to say soul, you're just saying that the the spiritual part of man goes to be with God. So I, I'm not going to theologically argue with anybody that says the soul goes to heaven. Um, but if you want to be really precise, theologically precise, you would say spirit. And uh, so both of these work for Jesus. Uh, just in case there was any doubt, he was being theologically precise here, too, that his spirit was eternal and his spirit was returning to God. So a lot of the theological anthropology going on in there, but it's a reminder of what happens at death. At death, our, our body is laid to rest, but the spirit goes into the hand of God, and we wait, we long for that resurrection when our body will be risen and reunited, and the body will be different. It will be eternal. That's exactly what happened to Jesus less than three days later. Less than three days later, Jesus' body was alive, and it was changed, and it was different, and it was eternal, and it was glorified, and it was spiritual. And um, someday that will happen to us. Someday Jesus is the first fruit of our resurrection, and all who believe on him will experience the same thing. We'll die just like he died, unless you're alive during the rapture, and I, and I hope we are. That'd be awesome. But if we're not alive at the rapture,